Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Pacific Funds. Here's your host, Dominic Nolan, Senior Managing Director of Pacific Asset Management, the sub-advisor for the Pacific Funds Fixed Income Funds. Hello again, and thanks for tuning in to number four. In this podcast, I want to explore something that's been a top of mind concern of mine for years. I thought a proper name for this concern is, quote, the underestimated monster, which is deflation. And to more accurately reflect the current environment, disinflation, which we'll get into those terms in a minute. It is something that has been weighing on economies and markets for decades, while many observers, including much of the media, seem to be shrugging their shoulders about. And this isn't an easily slain monster, such as a slow-moving zombie or a mischievous goblin, which movies appear to make goblins an easy slay, by the way. I think of this monster as more of a dragon, a powerful, complex beast that is rarely in the open and can only be stopped through numerous attacks from a variety of strategic angles. And recent history would tell us developed economies have not found their dragon slayer. Before we dive into this, let me first say that I do not have a PhD. I'm not a clinical economist, and I do not have, quote, published works. My thoughts are based on decades of being involved with financial markets and countless observations of economies, people, history, capital markets, and interest rates. So let's talk a little bit about a perspective on this. If I were to go back to the beginning of the 2010s, so shortly after the great financial crisis or the global financial crisis, and I were to tell you that in the decade of the 2010s, the S&P 500 will triple from around 1,100 to 3,300 or close to it. Unemployment would go from 10% down to 3.5%. U.S. debt or government debt would go from 12 trillion to close to 24 trillion. And gold would go from around 1,000 to 1,500 and up and over 1,900 today. What do you think interest rates would do? Now, again, the S&P 500 triples. Unemployment drops by two-thirds. U.S. debt, government debt, doubles. Gold doubles. The 10-year treasury entered the decade at 3.6%. Most of those elements would suggest rates should be higher. Rates dropped from 3.6 to 1.5%. Not only that, when you look through to economic growth, GDP, real GDP growth in 2010 was around 2.5%. Well, in 2019, it was lower. And the country hasn't been above 3% real GDP growth since 2005. This deflationary monster or disinflationary monster. And, And just to distinguish between the two, deflation is actually the decline in the price of goods. Disinflation is a decline in the rate of growth or of the price of goods. Either way, this is a beast that. Japan has lost the fight against, Europe is losing the fight against, and the U.S. continues to fight. 
So let's talk about why this is so concerning. And I'll do my best to simplify deflation or disinflation. And we'll start on the opposite side if you think about inflation. If there's an expectation that the price of goods will be higher in the future, that essentially should lead to more investment, hence more employment, more demand, more profits, and that circle and that cycle continues. If you take that concept and flip it and say, all right, well, what if the price in the future will be lower? And that is the base level thought. Then folks will hold on to currency, thinking I can buy more in the future, so I will wait, which will lead to substantially less investment, which will lead to less employment, less demand, less profits, less employment demand, and the cycle continues. And it is a cycle that can destroy economies for years on end. We, we went through a little bit of that cycle in the early 30s, this deflationary element. And that's something that we have been essentially fighting for some time. So now we have a base understanding of the problems this brings. I want to dig in a little bit to some of the causes. And again, I will try and simplify it the best I can. But hypothetically, suppose a farmer lives in a village and the farmer has chickens that make eggs and the farmer sells eggs. So let's assume the farmer sells 100 eggs a year. What are things that will cause the price of his eggs to go up or down? And I'll start on things that could cause it to go up. One is population. The size of the village increases. So now the demand for 100 eggs goes up to, the demand goes up to 125. So essentially with increased demand, the cost or in, in static supply, essentially he could sell the eggs for more. Population growth certainly helps. Another factor is if the local bank decides to issue more coins into the village. So if you think about that, if you have a certain amount of currency or coins out there and there's more that just goes into the village, people have more to spend. Thus, the price of the eggs could also go up. So conversely, what would cause the price to drop? One would be productivity. So if a farmer could all of a sudden have the same five chickens create 150 eggs rather than 100, now you have more supply and essentially the cost should drop. Another factor would be if other villages could, could sell eggs to his town. So you have more competition from outside villages that would essentially put pressure on, on the price of his eggs. So if you think about those elements, things that could help inflate prices, population growth, more currency, and things that would put pressure on prices, which would be productivity and globalization, those are factors that have been in play through the global economy. Let's dig in a little bit to the population side. If you go back 20 years, Japan's population is pretty static. So in 2000, the census had approximately 126 million folks in the country. Today, that number sits about the same. So their growth rate has been close to zero, as have their interest rates. If you go uh, to Germany, the 2000 census 
approximates 80 million Germans. Today, approximately 83 million. So that rate of growth is about a quarter of 1% per year. Again, a little higher than Japan, but still very low. If you look at the United States, 2000 census has about 280 million in the US. Today, it's estimated to be about 330 million. Now that population growth is a little less than 1%. So if you move the stack, Japan has the lowest population growth followed by Germany than the United States. That's consistent with sort of their GDP growth over that time. So population is one of the, I think one of the factors that causes prices to go up, but that element has been strained into the developed world. When we get through to currency, I'm going to hold, hold that discussion for a couple minutes. Let's get to things that causes prices to drop. One would be productivity, and that wave has been anchored by technology. And technology has really been an unstoppable force as it relates to pressures, uh, deflationary pressures. It has certainly helped the productivity of people that have access to technology, and it may be accelerating. So I, my opinion, that's probably been the single biggest contributor to the lack of economic growth or inflate from an inflationary standpoint. And the second dynamic in relation to let's say the villages, when I say other villages, that's globalization. The opening up of other economies, and in particular, the manufacturing coming out of China and, and the Asian economies has really led to significantly competitive pressures in the United States that has resulted in, obviously, folks uh, outsourcing manufacturing overseas and putting significant price pressures on many goods and services. So those things have been really overpowering inflation, which takes us to what we are trying to do to offset it, and that is flooding the market with currency. So increases in monetary, uh, monetary or money supply. When you think about how aggressive we've been, you know, running massive deficits, keeping interest rates low, increasing the balance sheet of the central banks, all of that is to help offset, I think, a lot of those factors that were just mentioned. The part, though, that is, that is I think, getting in the way is the mechanism, to me, is, is a bit broken. And when you think about all this money that's gone into the system, and I'll go back to the village analogy. If you wanted a village economy to grow and you were going to use that through money, I'll use gold coins as their money. If you are the powers that be overseeing that village, are you, are you better off throwing money in the street or better off giving it to the local financier banker to lend money? Well, if you Think about it and just let's go simplification. If you wanted an economy to grow, should you just mail a check to every villager or just give the money to the banker? I think when we visualize that, it's a pretty simple thing. Well, if you want inflation, yeah, just mail a check to the consumers and let them spend it. And that's one side of the continuum. On the other side, though, is, well, no, just give, give the gold to the banker and let the banker lend money to the consumers and we will help finance that consumption. Folks, we know which, what we chose. We chose to give the money to the banker. And as a result, that cycle has been in play for 30 years. And it's a debt super cycle. That's what's happened. 
and we haven't gotten growth to me because the mechanism has been broken. To, it hasn't translated into purchasing power to the end consumer. So that to me is a big part of, even though we're printing all this money, we are not getting the growth and it's just not powerful enough to offset those massive forces that we've been dealing with over the past 20 to 30 years. Now that I have unveiled this monster, described it, and shared my concerns about it, I think the next questions would be, how do we go about slaying it? And if we can't, or choose not to, and folks, there's certainly a camp that would say, we don't need to. But if we chose not to, how do we coexist with it? Well, for those answers, you'll have to tune in to Getting Credit's next podcast on the underestimated monster. Apologies for the cliffhanger, but there's just too much to park into one episode. All right, for those of you who've stayed with us this far, you'll get the standard treat, a bad joke. All right, a friend hired a hot air balloon for his wedding, but could not afford it. When asked why, he said, due to inflation. If you laughed, then uh, appreciate that. Thank you again, and stay tuned. This podcast is for financial professional use only and not for use with the public. All investing involves risk, including the possible loss of the principal amount invested. The views in this commentary are as of September 17, 2020, and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice, an endorsement of any security, mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice, as market and other conditions warrant. Any performance data quoted represents past performance, which does not guarantee future results. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Sector names in this commentary are provided by the fund's portfolio managers and could be different if provided by a third party. Pacific Funds refers to Pacific Funds Series Trust.